Welcome to Head to Toe, a series of interviews with experienced medical professionals, illuminating healthcare's history while shedding a light on its future. Hello, and welcome to Head to Toe. It is Thursday, September 8th, 2016. It's been a little while since I've been able to sit down and churn out a podcast episode. Life has gotten busy. I got engaged in July. Yay! Very excited about that. Uh, We're moving into another apartment soon, and summer has just been filled with barbecues and soccer games and happy hours and weddings and all sorts of fun adventures. You know, summer tends to be like that. But here I am. I'm back for another episode today. So here we are with me. Myself, Marie McMillan, in my downtown Portland apartment. So I don't have a guest today. Um, I've been lately unable to find anyone willing to sit down for an interview. Finding retired healthcare workers responsive to email is like finding unicorns with a landline telephone. So if you know someone, a unicorn with a landline telephone, someone with great stories about their career, doctors, nurses, therapists, hospital housekeeping staff, I don't really care who you are or what you've done. If you've worked in healthcare a long time, I want to talk to you. Email me, check out the podcast. I want to hear your stories because I'm a collector of stories. And since I've been unable to bribe anyone into sitting down with me, I thought I'd share a few stories of my own. Now, originally, I didn't think this podcast would just be me talking into a microphone. I'm really more interested in what other people have to share rather than hearing myself talk. But I've been listening to lots of podcasts lately, everything from Dan Savage to wedding planning podcasts to This American Life to TED Talks. And some of them are just that, just one person talking. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. But I think I'll go ahead and give it a try. I have a bit of a set template for interviews with experienced professionals, so I think I'll just draw from that. I've asked previous guests uh, the question, it's my favorite question, can you think of a story about a patient, a family, a doctor, or co-worker that has left a lasting impression on you, positive or negative? I can think of two stories. Uh, both came from me working on a medical surgical unit in the big hospital. Uh, the first one I like to tell, it's it's kind of short. Um, one day I was taking care of this elderly Italian lady who had this thick New York accent. I couldn't remember her diagnosis, but she and her family had just made the decision to move to hospice care. Now, before this decision, she was on a pretty strict diet. In fact, I think she was NPO. Anyway, she couldn't have a lot of anything good to eat or drink. So we decided to move her to hospice and all the generic hospital rules you might think of go out the window at that point. As soon as this decision was made and things were put into motion to get her discharged home, I asked her, if you could have anything to eat, what would you ask for? She told me straight away, coffee ice cream. Coffee ice cream. And I was like, okay, I'll see what I can do. So I go back into the little kitchenette on the unit, which is stocked with like really basic things, like graham crackers and saltines. I took one of those Cisco Vanilla Dixie ice cream cups, I put it into a styrofoam cup, and I poured a little bit of really sad day-old hospital coffee on top of it. Not good coffee, just your basic bulk purchase coffee grounds that come in the two flavors of caffeinated or decaffeinated. Anyway, I mixed a little bit of that with my Vanilla Dixie cup, walked back into her room, sat her up, handed her this less-than-masterful concoction. She takes a bite, looks up at me, and says... That's the best thing I've ever tasted. (laughs) And that was pretty cool that I was able to do this really small thing for this dying woman. But to her, it was a moment of happiness. A second story I can think of comes from working on the same medical surgical unit on Christmas Eve. I was taking care of another elderly woman, a stroke victim. She was hemiplegic, bedbound, aphasic, 
somewhat cognitively impaired. What I remember is that her speech was very limited. She said a total of three words, which were mama, yep, and dooby dooby doo, like, you know, the scat singing over and over again. It, it would kind of go like this. Are you comfortable? Yep, dooby dooby doo. Are you hungry? Mama? Yep, dooby dooby doo. That was really all she could say for me for the whole two days that I took care of her. So on Christmas Eve, she's getting discharged home. Yay, happy, excited. Her husband and full-time caretaker arrived, and as he walks in the room, her face lights up like a Christmas tree. Very nice guy, very dedicated to her well-being. He scoops her up in his arms, like takes his hands and just scoops her up and sits her in her wheelchair, and he looks at me and he says, hey, you know she can sing, right? And I was like, what? You're kidding me. And the patient's nodding at me vigorously. And then she and her husband look at each other and they start to sing Silent Night. Night. They sing Silent Night to me before wheeling down the hallway to the elevator to go home for Christmas Eve. And that, that was pretty special. Another question I like to ask my guests is what has kept you in the medical field, whatever it may be, for however long you've been in it, and what do you imagine healthcare will be like in the future? Well, I guess I'll pare that down to what's kept me in nursing for seven years, and what do I imagine nursing will be like in the future? What's kept me here? Definitely, I'd have to say the relationships with my coworkers, to be honest, are unlike other friendships that I've had in my lifetime. The things you share with these people on the front lines of hospital work bring you together in a way that other things just really can't do. One hour you could be trading off doing chest compressions and CPR on somebody, and the next hour you can be doing a bed bath and wiping record-breaking amounts of excrement off of people. And the third hour you're teaching family members about life support machines, and the fourth hour you're answering phones while looking at your coworker's Instagram video and their kid's doing something totally hilarious. Just the total variety you can go through in a 12 and a half hour day in the hospital is pretty phenomenal, not to mention the profound life and death experiences that people outside your field just cannot really, truly relate to. Another reason why I've stayed in nursing is the feeling I get when I know I've made someone's life better, not necessarily longer, just better, like coffee ice cream, for instance. When patients and families thank me for helping their loved one, those are the moments that I hang on to and the days that are completely thankless. A third reason I stay in nursing is the completely cool shit I get to do in the intensive care unit. It's full of super technology and machines. And while they're normally connected to really sick people, and yes, I know that's really sad, I enjoy the hands-on aspect of it. I like being sort of a human mechanic. I feel like my workplace and the team I collaborate with is sometimes straight out of the movie Apollo 13. You know, when they got to fix the, the CO2 filter on the command module and that guy walks in the room, that NASA guy, and he dumps all the stuff on the, on the table and he says, Okay, people, listen up. People upstairs, candidates missed one and we got to come through. We got to find a way to make this fit into the hole for this using nothing but that. You know, that square peg round hole situation? Totally. That is what a lot of my ICU shifts feel like. But we make it work, and when it does work, it feels pretty awesome. What do I think healthcare will be like in the future? Hmm, I have lots of theories. Uh, things will definitely get more mobile, like they're getting now. It's common to book your, you know, your appointments and see lab results from your phones. And even newer ways for people to telecommunicate with their physicians via Skype or FaceTime or other things like that, which I think is totally weird. 
maybe basic outpatient issues can be resolved that way. Like, here, doc, look at this rash. What do you think? God bless all of our primary care people if that is their future. <laughs> I think uh, nurses will do more and more in the hospital. Um, but I also think part of it will totally stay the same forever. Like, I think it's feasible in the future that we'd be expected to put in central lines in patients and take an interpreter on x-rays and so forth, things like that. But at the same time, I don't think cleaning up poop will ever escape our, our job descriptions. Other things I think will change are the attire for bedside caregivers. I have this theory that we'll all be wearing these sleek antimicrobial suits that will magically repel body fluids. If someone out there wants to co-design those with me, give me a call. We could make millions and then retire. I think that healthcare systems will get bigger and the push for preventative care will get stronger. I, I'd like to think that access to healthcare will continue to improve. I also think that the oversight of healthcare will be left to large governmental organizations, which has its own pros and cons, and that's an entire different soapbox altogether. I don't know. What do you guys think will happen 20 years from now when you go to the doctor's office or to the ER? Will a, a robot take your blood work and will Siri ask you about your symptoms and then text a doctor who's on Tahiti about it? I, I don't know. The science fiction nerd to me says that's just one step away from Skynet. But moving on. I was brainstorming ways to make this episode not be boring as hell. I've decided to finish out the episode with a healthcare news roundup. <laughs> Kaiser Health News reports this week, quote, drop in teen pregnancies is due to more contraceptives and not less sex. Duh. The report includes a, a statistic of 36% less teen pregnancies from 2007 to 2013. Additionally, in news regarding sexual education, Arkansas colleges and universities, yes, Arkansas, a Bible Belt state, will start mandating new courses for students entitled How Not to Get Pregnant. I totally and completely salute their efforts on this one. Major props. However, they should really be starting this in junior high school. Story number two in the healthcare roundup is the Pokemon Go app is credited with health benefits such as increased walking and increased sense of community by users. I've heard much anecdotal evidence to this, to be frank. I, I don't play the game myself, but like my mom walks every day while she's playing the game. Way to go, mom. Keep it up. Another friend I have, um, she met her neighbors down the street while she and her husband were out catching Pokemon on, on their street. Like, hey, oh, I've never met you before. That's pretty cool. So overall, I think it's been a good thing for our planet. Just remember to look up from your phone once in a while. Be aware of your surroundings. There's been some reports of twisted ankles and bruised egos from people tripping on sidewalk curbs because they weren't aware of what was going on other than the Pokemon that was on their phones. So here's a, a little PSA. Remember to never Pokemon and drive at the same time or operate heavy machinery or babysit children at the poolside. You know, general adult responsibilities. Story number three. The state of Maine's Attorney General Janet Mills has purchased $76,000 worth of Narcan injections to distribute to police forces throughout the state. Okay, for those of you who don't know what Narcan is, it is the antidote to opioids. As an injection, it binds to opioid receptors in your body, thereby chemically blocking drugs like heroin, morphine, and oxycodone from taking effect. We use Narcan in the hospital setting as a reversal agent to those drugs in the hopes of reviving people who have overdosed or have been inadvertently given too much pain medicine, etc. Um, EMS providers also use it in the field all the time. So in addition to police 
officers carrying Narcan. I'm hearing about Narcan being given out for free in community settings as a way to treat overdoses. So my disclaimer here is that my personal stance on Narcan handouts oscillates from opposed to vehemently opposed. I do not think this is an efficient use of state money. I think Narcan administration should be left to EMS providers and hospitals and even in the home. Sure, if if somebody lives with addiction problems and they go to their doctor wanting that safeguard, I can see a primary care provider prescribing Narcan for home use. And I, I totally agree with that. I'm not anti-Narcan and I'm not anti dignity of people with addiction. I think those are people too, and they deserve every right to live and be happy. I'm just anti-spending public funds and what I view is an objectively asinine approach to addiction medicine. Narcan isn't like other anti-addiction medicines out there like methadone and suboxone. Those those drugs treat pain and the dependence on heroin or morphine or whatever it is that people are on. Narcan is the revival drug. It's the, oh shit, I took too much and now I can't breathe approach. Here's, here's another an- analogy, another way that I look at it. So, in the Hunger Games books, the main character, Katniss Everdeen, makes her way to the wealthy District 1 where they have not only adequate amounts of food, but they encourage overeating. She finds the people of District 1 at this big grandiose party, and they're eating food, and she learns that when they get full, they take pills to vomit so they can eat more. I see this as the same way. I see free Narcan given in the community as a way for people with addiction to take more drugs, overdose, or rely upon police officers, EMS, or their friends to inject them with Narcan once their eyes are really rolled back and they turn purple. Yeah, hand that off. That's the time to really inject your friend with the Narcan and call 911. I can see people who suffer from addiction having the injections prescribed to them as a safeguard while they're treating the root of their addiction, but I think the use of state funds could be directed toward programs that either directly treat addiction issues or prevent them from happening to kids in the first place. I know I need to learn more on this topic, but it's one I feel passionate about. So if someone in the community wants to come on the show and debate this with me, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. I, I do need to learn about it more myself, and I think that'd be a really fascinating episode. All right. Stepping off that soapbox now, thanks for bearing with me. Our final and fourth news story is um, the Austin American Statesman reported this week that Austin, Texas school parents are, quote, riled by flu vaccine consent. Parents were asked to check one of two boxes on a form sent home with students this week. Uh, <laughs> option number one is... Yes, I want to help protect my family and my community from the flu by allowing my child to receive the flu vaccine, exclamation point. Option number two is no, I do not want to help my help protect my family and my community by allowing my child to participate, parentheses, insert reason here. Okay, well, I am staunchly pro-vaccine. I gotta say, this... This is hilarious. I have to agree that it was a poor choice of words. Now those parents are going to be even more turned off to the idea that flu vaccines actually help prevent sickness. You know how at the zoo they have the signs that say don't feed the animals? Yeah, don't piss off the parents. And that concludes my healthcare news roundup. I think that is all I have for today. Uh, You've been listening to episode four of Head to Toe. Ta-da! If you're a healthcare worker with 30 or more years of experience, I'd love to sit down and hear your stories. Please look me up on Facebook, Marie McMillan, M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N, or check out my website, mariemcmillan.com, or email me at macmillanpages at gmail.com. I know you're out there. Shoot me an email. Check out my website. Share my, share my show. 
Um, in the near future, I'll be at the annual Oregon Healthcare Association convention in Portland a few weeks away, so stay tuned for a special episode in the field. Should be exciting. I have no idea what I'm going to ask people, but it'll be cool. Okay, until next time, take care, everyone.